to the word this morning, Romans chapter four. Go ahead and turn there in your notes and um, just continue to build on what, you know, we've been learning in this epistle. That's why it's so valuable, even going verse by verse, uh, chapter by chapter, just, you know, doctrinally, it's so good for us. Uh, You get a a, a greater uh, understanding of God's heart and mind. And again, uh, teaching and doctrine in the scripture, we're told to pay attention to our doctrine and doing so will save both ourselves and the listener. So this is of highest importance. And we've been seeing here in the book of Romans, starting in about the middle of chapter one to about the middle of chapter three, Paul really putting forth the case that all men are sinners that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's especially emphasizing that not only is every Gentile a sinner, but he's emphasizing even more that every Jew is a sinner. Not that Jews are greater sinners than Gentiles, or Gentiles are greater sinners than Jews, but because, again, many of the Jews had really lost their way. They had you know, lost sight of the fact that they too were saved by grace through faith in the coming Messiah, And the law was an instrument, first and foremost, to show them that they were sinners. They'd gotten away from that, though, and had begun to think that the law was something that they lived up to to be right with God. Now, again, it was a moral standard, and it was absolutely laws put forth to help govern their land and their walk with the Lord, but more so to show them that they were sinners that needed a Savior. But they, again, had lost sight of that. And so Paul's really bringing them back to the truth that just as they considered every Gentile a sinner, that every Jew was a sinner as well and under condemnation. And then we came there to chapter 3, I think it's verse 21, and we read the word but. After laying all this out and even just seeing what happens with a culture when they embrace sin all the more and that downward grade that they go on, we came there to chapter 3 and it says, but righteousness, and it said justification and redemption is available through faith in Jesus Christ, not by our works. Our works, you know what, cannot rid us of sin, but faith in Jesus Christ who lived a sinless life, who went to the cross of Calvary to take the wrath to us, who rose from the grave. And now this morning we know that we are justified. Just as if we have not sinned, we are justified before God, not by our works, but faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And last week we Finish out the text again on this note there in Romans 3.27 where it says, Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? No, by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also since there is one God. And then notice, who will justify the circumcised by faith? And the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. The purpose of the law. It shows us we're sinners. Absolutely that we need salvation. That Jesus Christ kept the law. That Jesus Christ died for our sins. He rose from the grave. And now we're saved not by the law. But faith in Jesus who kept the law. So again, the law is established through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this morning, Paul continues to build on this because it's so important. And I tell you, maybe this is an area where you you read it, you see it, you understand it. You're like, this is awesome. You're blessed in that. There's a lot of people that struggle with these truths. 
They just can't even get over the fact that Jesus paid their debt in full. They want to go back to thinking it's Jesus plus a little bit of them. And I'll tell you, that really opens the door for a lot of attack, condemnation, uh, false gospels. People begin to, again, think it's too good that Jesus paid the penalty in full. I got to do something or we got to do something. Or if I'm not quite living up to how God wants me to live and a condemnation comes in. Anyone ever been condemned by the devil? Listen, we want to go back over and over and over again that our salvation is established by grace alone, through faith alone, in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. So Paul, in establishing this more, begins to roll out the patriarchs. Abraham this morning, as well as David, showing the Jews, as well as the Gentiles and all of us, that these men in the Old Testament were saved in the same manner that we are, not by their works, but absolutely through believing, through faith in the Lord, for them, the promised Savior to come, for us, the Savior who has come, who is the same Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verses 1 through 12, listen, this passage here, it's an accountant's dream come true. Seven times we'll, re, we'll, we'll see Paul referring to accounted and count and impute. And it really has to do with a ledger of having debt versus having the debt forgiven. And so you'll see this you know, carried out that when we try to work our way to heaven, our debt actually gets bigger. When we put our faith in Christ, our debt gets put away, paid in full by the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, he shows that Abraham was justified by faith before circumcision or before works to show again that we are saved by grace through faith. And then works come as a result of our faith. Works show that we have a genuine faith. For us, baptism comes after we're saved. Baptism doesn't save us, but baptism absolutely is a sign of a genuine faith. Our works don't save us, but works are a sign of a genuine faith. He'll also this morning talk about David, who three times it mentions us being blessed that we are forgiven. And we are forgiven how? We are forgiven by faith. That our sin now is not imputed to us or it's no longer on the books. It's been wiped clean through the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news this morning? Our sins have been wiped clean by the Lord Jesus and his shed blood. So listen, a lot to glean from here. A lot to rejoice in, a lot of doctrinal truth that we need to have in our minds that absolutely we can stand in truth when these truths get attacked and they will get attacked. They'll get attacked by wolves. In fact, we'll close talking about that. They'll get attacked by the enemy of our soul and even our own flesh, the pride of our flesh and, you know, the, 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 the weakness of our flesh comes up with lies as well we want to stand in the truth of the scripture and the finished work of the lord jesus christ so let's read our text together romans 4 verses 1 through 12 and then we're going to dive into this passage and take it a verse or two at a time and and hopefully just leave here again just built up in him it says what then shall we say that abraham our father has found or has discovered according to the flesh For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him 
who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those who lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not (coughs) impute sin. Verse 9. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. In other words, he had faith and salvation before there were any works. Verse 12, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but also those who walk in the steps of faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Now again, up here to verse 1. He says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? We've been reminded throughout this book that Abraham absolutely is the father of a nation named Israel, that the Lord birthed the nation through him to do what? To bring forth the savior of the world as promised there in Genesis after man's sin that remember through the seed of the woman, a savior would come, the serpent would bruise his heel But praise God, it said that our Savior would and our Savior has crushed the serpent's head. Isn't that good news this morning? And throughout the Old Testament, again, there would be prophetic words of that line of genealogy that the Savior would come through. So when the Savior came, they would know this is actually the Savior of the world. And God chose Abraham to be the man who he would birth the nation of Israel through that through her the Savior of the world would come. Now in that, a natural nation was birthed, the nation of Israel, uh, a group that absolutely was set apart through Abraham and Sarah. These are the Jews. And naturally, Paul was a Jew. Genesis 12.1 gives you know the first promise to Abraham and to Israel. And it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, and remember his name then was changed to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And notice, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that's talking about the spiritual nation that would come out of Abraham, which many of the natural nation were a part of. Those who believed in the Savior to come, they weren't just natural Israel, but they were spiritual Israel. And this morning, listen, through faith in Jesus Christ, we've inherited that blessing, and now we too are part of spiritual Israel, and Abraham is our father. Those that have faith, again, and the promised Savior who has come, We are Abraham's spiritual descendants. He is the father of our faith. And Paul, again, was a Jew. Paul also had faith. And we read about this earlier in Romans 2. Romans 2, 28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, 
nor a circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, the circumcision that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not for men, but from God. And so I think it's important that we go back to this truth because he's talking about Abraham, our father. So you ask the question, is he talking to the Jew there? Is he talking to the Christian there? He's talking to both of them there because God's not done with natural Israel. And Paul goes into deep detail on this later in the book of Romans, that natural Israel will eventually all come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why? Because God's faithful to his promises. And he made a promise to Abraham. Now, again, he asked the question, what did our father Abraham find or discover according to the flesh? Or you could say, what did Abraham discover about being made right with God? Remember, we need to be made right with God. Again, we're sinners. The law shows us we're sinners. Our sin separates us from God and wrath rests upon the head of every unbeliever. So we need to ask the question, how do we get made right with God? In fact, it's the most important question of your entire short life here on earth because your entire eternity, which has no end, has, you know, a great dependence on upon that and it's sad how many individuals are so short-sighted or they don't care or they would rather just go by wishful thinking than responding to the holy spirit convicting them of sin righteousness and judgment i mean i know it grieves the heart of god when individuals will not step back and consider their latter end consider their eternity even many in israel they would shun the counsel of God's word and the prophets. In Deuteronomy thirty-two twenty-eight, it says, For thee are a nation void of counsel, nor is there any understanding in them. And then the Lord said, Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. We look at people naturally that, you know, maybe they're, they're, they're teenagers, they're, you know, at early 20s or so forth. And someone older can look and see talents and, you know, what great potential in them. But isn't it a sad thing when they just squander that away? When they have an opportunity maybe to go learn a trade or get an education to be able to use to help people, you know, and, you know, to, to have a nice income and so forth. But instead of pursuing those things, you know, they go out and party or they just go out and live a life marked by debauchery or they're just you know what, lazy or just caught up in just social media and they won't leave the metaverse that Zuckerberg's trying to put out and so forth, you know. And you look at that and you grieve, don't you? And there's a lot of that today, and I think there's been a whole lot more of that the last few years. And we look and we say, oh, how sad. And the world even looks at that oftentimes. People that are successful in the world's term, and they say, how sad. They have great potential, but they're just squandering it. Well, think about this. The individual that does that concerning eternity that even on earth let's just say they prosper and they're you know learned and they establish businesses and they have great income and so forth but they never want to step back and consider the eternity they never want to step back and say what did father abraham learn concerning getting right with god that's more sad that's a very sad place again that's where the lord's saying oh that they would consider their latter end because listen you can squander your life as a youth, but still live out your life here on earth and have days appointed to you. 
But when you squander your eternity, there's no turning back and there is no end. Our life is very short and how sad to live your life here, even if you live it to the fullest, quote unquote. You know what? But you die without the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a lifetime separated from God in a place that Jesus Christ called Hades and a place that he called hell. God does not want anyone to go there. And so Paul is even saying here to the Jew who's under the law, who needs to get under grace. Guys, let's step back. Let's look to Abraham, our father, and ask, what did he discover, you know, in his life of how to be right with God Almighty? Let's learn from our father. He's saying, let's be wise and learn from others. Again, we have the Old Testament. Us as believers under the new covenant as well have the New Testament that we can glean from the scriptures and we can glean from the example of others recorded in Scripture. We can glean things not to do, and there's a lot of gleaning in that regard in Scripture, but more so we can glean what to do. 1 Corinthians 10, 6 says, Now these things become our example. And then Hebrews 12, 1, it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of, of so great a cloud of witness let us lay aside every weight and the sin which easily ensnares us and let us run the race with endurance the race that's set before us and it's talking to the cloud of witnesses there in hebrews 11 which abraham is included in these men and women of faith let's learn from them it's always wise to learn from others boy it's always wise isn't it always better to learn from someone else's mistakes versus making your own or learning how to you know what, do something right versus having to figure it out. Listen, that's one area that I thank God for YouTube for because there's a lot of things like, how do I fix this? I'll just go on the YouTube and some guy shows me. I've struggled with this for months and then I figured out how to do it. Fixed a hot water heater recently. They had one of those little sensors and the thing just kept sensing something that wasn't there and I get cold water. We'll go to the YouTube. I was able to glean from someone else. How much more than a hot water heater is the importance of your soul? So let's glean from Abraham. This is what he's saying. Verse 2, he says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Remember the Jewish people at this point, those that had rejected Christ, they were a boastful people. The Lord called them out over and over again. Talked about how they'd boast in their fasting. They'd boast in their tithing. They wanted to have, you know, at prime positions, at festivals and meals and so forth. They were a prideful people and that had blinded them to their sin and their need for a savior. Let's remember in our salvation, there's no boasting to be found except the boasting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 6.14, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our boast should be. My Savior lived a sinless life. He died for my sins. He rose from the grave. And he counted me worthy to be part of the kingdom of God by grace alone, through faith alone, and him alone. Are we read there in Ephesians 2.8? For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works. Notice, lest anyone should boast. And this is true for us as New Testament believers but it was also true for those in the Old Testament. And Abraham here, again, he didn't have anything to boast about before God in regards to his right standing with God. In fact, 
<coughs> Abraham did no boasting before God. In fact, we see at one point before God, he was absolutely acknowledging the fact, I'm just dust. Remember as he was interceding for Sodom, when God gave the word that he was coming down to judge the city because of their wickedness and so forth. And Abraham's nephew Lot was there and Abraham wanted to intercede to save him. He begins to ask God, if there's 50 righteous, will you destroy the city? And as he's praying that prayer there in Genesis eighteen twenty seven, it says that Abraham answered and said, now indeed or indeed now, uh, who am I but dust and ashes have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord? And so not only did Abraham not boast before God as he's before God and pray said, I'm just dust. I'm just ashes. It was acknowledgement that man was just dirt formed it out of the ground into a man and God breathed life. And you're God and I'm just a man. You're the giver of life. I'm the recipient of life. You're the potter. I'm just the clay. Abraham did not boast before the Lord. Abraham absolutely acknowledges acknowledge his need for the lord again abraham knew his salvation his righteousness did not come through his works and he did a lot of works but his salvation did not come through his doing but through believing in the promise given there again back in the garden that the savior of the world would come in fact he left ur the chaldeans on that east side of the jordan where they were worshiping idols he left ur absolutely because he believed the promise that god was going to bring the savior of the world through him he understood listen these guys understood the gospel they understood that promise they understood the fall of man they understood that god was going to bring forth a savior and he was looking for that savior and he responded and his journey from ur there to canaan that didn't save him But that journey absolutely was the result of his faith in the Savior who would save him. Hebrews 11.8 puts it like this. By faith, Abraham believed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Sometimes that's how faith works, right? I don't know where I'm going, but I just got to go where God's calling me to go. That's usually a sign that you're stepping out by faith. When you got it all figured out, we're going here, here, and here. Oftentimes, that's more of a sign of the flesh. Not always, but oftentimes it is. He went out not knowing where he was going. It says, by faith he dwelt in the land, uh, in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So again, this was way more about heaven than anything on earth. This was more about understanding I need a savior because all this is going to perish. In fact, later in Hebrews, it talks about how these things are going to be shaken and fall down. But God's again building a city in glory that will not be shaken, that will endure. And when Abraham went out, it wasn't. You know what? Primarily about an earthly land, though there was a promise to Israel on that. This was more so about salvation. He yearned for that glorious city that, again, we are partakers of through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And again, this was all via faith. Verse three, it says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted 
to him for righteousness. And I love it here. Paul keeps bringing them back to the scriptures. He's not interested in their tradition. He doesn't, he's not interested in the things they've added to the law to try to keep the law, and they had done that. Where it wasn't enough just not to work on Sabbath, they said, and these are all the things that will keep you from working, so you've got to do the things that will keep you from working so that you won't work, and yet in all that they were doing, they were actually working versus just resting and then looking for the Lord that would come that would be the fulfillment of the Sabbath Because in Jesus Christ, we've ceased from our works to try to save us. We're saved through the work of Jesus Christ. And so Paul wasn't interested in their unbiblical tradition. Neither was the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, throughout the Lord Jesus' ministry, he would say, what do the scriptures say? Or he would say, it is written. And Paul does the very thing here. He's standing in an authority here. He's not saying this is my idea or my thought. He says, let's go back to the word of God. And that's weighty. Second Peter 1.20 says this about scripture. Knowing this first that no prophecy of scripture as of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God has spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. He's saying, let's see what the Holy Spirit has to say. Listen, isn't the Holy Spirit much more an authority on these things than just man's ideas and thoughts and opinions and traditions? I would say so. Wouldn't you agree with that? Let's go with the Holy Spirit. And so he says, what does the Holy Spirit or what do the scriptures say? Again, about Abraham. How was Abraham saved? Did Abraham work his way to heaven? Did Abraham have something to boast in and look what I've done? No, it says Abraham believed God And it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's how we're saved today. We believe the Lord. We put our faith and trust in the Lord. And now it's accounted to us. Or again, the debt that we have on the books, the accountant wipes that away. And now we're in right standing with the Lord because Jesus has paid our debt. He's quoting Genesis 15 here. Verse 1 through 7. Read along with me. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I'm childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now towards heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And then notice, he believed the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, the Chaldeans, to give you this land to inherit again the heir was about the savior he knew that through his genealogy the savior would come and indeed the lord jesus would many generations later as recorded in scripture and he was saying listen you've called me out of this place his name was abram that meant father of many which doesn't work out well when you're the father of none and then the lord changed his name later to abraham which means father of a greater multitude really father of nations and he still didn't have any kids and he says what am i supposed to do here 
You said you give me an heir. And yet the only heir I have is a servant of my house. If Abraham passed, he would inherit everything. And he says, this isn't even an heir from my loins. And God says, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful. You give me that heir to give you that savior. And Abram, instead of going, I don't believe it. I'm walking away from all this. I'm going back to Ur of the Chaldeans. I'm going to go worship those idols. Instead, it says, Abraham believed. Okay, Lord, you said it. I believe it. You're going to bring that savior I believe it. I believe that Savior is going to come according to your plan. And that Savior is going to crush the serpent's head. He'll get his heel bruised in the process, but he's going to crush the serpent's head. And I'm going to be made right with you through him. And when he believed, the Lord says, "Okay, your books now are wiped clean of all the debt. And now I account to you righteousness. You are in right standing with me because you believe in the promise that I have set before you. He believed God, and that's how righteousness was accounted for him. He didn't do anything. He just believed. Now listen, Abraham believed the Savior would come. He also believed God was going to bring the Savior through this nation that God would raise up through, again, genealogy. Abraham said, I'm a sinner, I'm but dust, but the Savior's coming who will crush the serpent's head. Again, he'll die for my sins and he will save me in his death and resurrection. Abraham also, though, believed that that natural born nation that would be birthed through him would serve God in a land eternally. He would absolutely birth a nation that would inherit a land that would bring forth the Savior. And then again, even in that heavenly kingdom, which will eventually come to earth, this nation birthed through him would have a place there. And this is why God's not done with Israel today, natural Israel. This is very simple to understand. All you got to do is open up the Bible and begin to read, open up the book of Romans, and these things are very easy to understand, and yet there's great ignorance in this. There's great ignorance in it. And you got to understand a lot of the ignorance when it comes to natural Israel and these things. It comes from an antichrist spirit. Satan is anti-Israel because Israel brought forth the savior of the world. And Jesus as well is going to sit on the throne ruling over Israel in the millennial reign of Christ. And Satan is very much against the promises of God. And yet, for some reason, a confusion has come in where there's simplicity and it's coming because, again, of man's own rebellion and lack of faith. Romans eleven twenty five, he says, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Again, he's talking about natural Israel there. We're spiritual Israel. Are we blinded this morning? No, our eyes are open, right? We're Jews by faith in the Lord. But natural Israel? Again, God talks through Paul on this, how we've been grafted in, but God's not done with the natural branch. That after the fullness of the Gentiles or that last Gentile comes to faith in the Lord and we enter into the tribulation period, God's going to deal with Israel and all natural Israel is going to come to faith in the Lord. And God's regathered here in these last days to her land, according to Scripture, 
as well. And then in Joel 3, it talks about God coming against all the nations that will come against her. Why? In part, they divided up her land. And we got a nation right now that even wants to di- d- divide up Jerusalem when God's deeded it already to Israel. You don't want to get into that with the Lord because if you curse her, you'll be cursed. But if you bless her, you'll be blessed. And those promises are yes and amen to this day. Verse 4, it says, Now to him who works, the wages are not accounted as grace, but as debt. Again, when you put faith in the Lord, your debt's wiped clean. When you say, I want to work my way to heaven, listen, the working doesn't take away your debt. You know what it does? It adds more debt. Can you believe that? If you want to be saved by the law, if you want to be saved by your self-righteousness, if you want to save, be saved by your own self-holiness or piety, you are in a greater debt when you enter that place because you're indebted to keep the entirety of the law. All of it. If you want to say, I want to be saved by my works, again, then you get the whole kit and caboodle. You get the whole Ten Commandments. You get everything that you're not capable of keeping, and you got to keep it all. And only one kept it all. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 5, 1, it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do you hear that this morning? Stand fast in that liberty. Stand fast in it this morning. By which Christ has made us free. He paid our debt. Keep standing in that place where the books are wiped clean because of Jesus. And notice, do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. He's talking about being circumcised to complete our salvation. We'll get more into that here in a minute. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised He's a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You attempt to be justified by the law. Notice, you've fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. And so he's talking here about the Christian. Maybe some Gentile. He heard the gospel. He put his faith in the Lord. He's saved. And then a Jew comes along and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. And this is we looked at this in the book of Acts. These Judaizers, we call them. They came along. They said, faith in Jesus isn't enough. You need to become a, you know, a Jew as well through our means. And there is a seal or a sign you need to take part partake in of circumcision. And then you'll be right with God. And these guys came in and it disturbed the Gentiles. And again, it went all the way back to Jerusalem. They sorted this out and they said, no, no, it's only by faith in Jesus that we're saved. And Paul's saying here, if you go back to the law and listen this morning, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But if all of a sudden you say it's faith in the Lord, plus my doing something to be right with God, he says you fall from grace. You say it's faith in Jesus plus I got to attend church at least three times out of the month. Otherwise, I'm not saved. Now, that's a good thing. Four to eight times is even better to attend. But that's not what's going to save you. Or there's a lot of cults out there. They say it's Jesus plus you have to be baptized in Jesus name in our church by our pastor. or You're not going to heaven. They abound out there. These wacky groups. It's Jesus plus, you know what, you need to sign your inheritance over to the church so when you die, 
It's Jesus plus you have to have a certain necklace on. Otherwise, you're going to go to purgatory. That's nutty stuff. That's satanic is what that is. That's not scriptural. That's the traditions of men. And does Paul say, hey, guys, let's go to our traditions. What does Paul say? Let's go to the scriptures. Let's go to the word of God. Again, it is so important we stand fast in the liberty that we have in Christ, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. And let me tell you, that will produce the fruit of the Spirit of God in your life versus the efforts of man. A religious activity that just just destroys fellowships and Christian fellowship. And it just sucks the life out of the room every single time. So basically, if you think you can work off your debt, all you do is you add more debt. You're indebted to keep the entirety of the law. Listen, we can't pay off that debt. Only the Lord could do that. He lived a sinless life. That was required, a sinless life. Sin came through one man. Salvation, again, comes through one man who paid the debt for us. And then on top of that, God's not indebted to anybody. God doesn't owe us anything. So again, our works are counted as debt. I'll work that wage off. God doesn't owe you anything. But he paid the debt that we owed him. Now listen, side note. Works don't save me, but I am saved unto good works. Amen. Again, Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any which should boast. And then notice, for we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. And an evidence of real faith, of really believing, is then beginning to walk in those works. If I believe Jesus is my Lord, that's going to have an effect on my life. In fact, James takes this same verse. Abraham believed God and was accounted for righteousness to build the fact that faith without works is actually dead. Listen, if old Abe would have said, I believe, but never left Ur the Chaldeans, that wouldn't have been faith. It would have been wishful thinking is what it would have been. His faith was marked. It was seen and says, listen, I do believe God's going to raise a nation through me. I do believe a Savior is going to come through me according to that promise there in Genesis or in that promise there in the garden. So I'm leaving these idols. I'm going to repent, turn from them, and I'm going to go. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going to go. Otherwise, it's just wishful thinking. This is where in James 2.18 it says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith, notice, by my works. But you believe that there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know a foolish man that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works faith was made perfect. And scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted for righteousness. That verse is repeated a lot in the New Testament. And he was called the friend of God. Praise God. Do you believe this morning? Can you say amen to that? You're a friend of God. Isn't that a great place to be this morning? He says, you see that a man is justified by works 
and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, faith without works is dead. He's not saying that faith and works saves us. He's saying real faith produces real works. Otherwise, it's wishful thinking. Abraham believed he left her. Abraham believed he received the sign of circumcision and was circumcised. Abraham believed so he was willing to offer his son Isaac. Abraham believed a savior was going to come. God gave him Isaac in his old age. And then he was willing to say, if this is the Savior, I'm willing to absolutely have him die here because I know he'll be resurrected. His faith was seen in his works. There was an evidence of it. And it wasn't saying, I, I believe, now I have to do this, you know, to be saved. Because I believe I do these things. Verse 5, it says, but to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So again, Jesus did the work. Jesus paid my debt. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. He was talking about the debt being paid. Then the old devil comes along and he accuses. And he comes along and he condemns. You ever felt condemned by the devil? Oh, you're not saved. You're not washed. You're not born again. And this is where Jesus, our advocate, says, actually, I paid for him. I paid for her. Their debt is erased. It's off the books as far as the east is from the west. When the devil come back and say, well, how can that be? Look what he does. Look what he's doing. Look what he doesn't do. And Jesus said, well, he's saved not through what he has done. And does not condemn for what he's doing. But instead, he or she's justified because he or she has trusted in me and what I have done for them again our books are made clean through faith in jesus christ and again faith in jesus christ will be seen practically in our life it's like i tell you about the bank down there we all know it's there but there's a difference in entrusting your money to that bank and then there's evidence you've entrusted that money you get the thing in the mail right you you you, you get the the you know at the text your account's been compromised identity theft identity theft that doesn't happen if your money's not in that bank well cyber cyber thieves all over the place nowadays now continuing on here in verse six just as david also describes the blessedness of the man whom god imputes righteousness apart from works blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven whose sins are covered blessed is the man to whom the lord shall not impute sin impute again means to take inventory or count again it goes back to the books here paul brings in the patriarchs again to tell them this to teach them these things first he brings abe now he brings dave and listen dave fell into deep sin practically he believed but practically he fell in sin he lusted for bathsheba he didn't confess that sin after he laid with her he tried to cover it up Sin brought forth, forth, brought forth more sin. It was an incredible mess. And it dried up David's walk. And listen, this is the context of what he's quoting here in Psalm 32.1. David wrote, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there's no deceit. And then he says, When I kept silent, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. 
My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah, think about it. And again, it's when David fell in that sin with Bathsheba. He tried to cover it. He ended up having her husband murdered. And he didn't confess any of it. And he said, I dried up. My joy was taken from me. My bones ached within me. And then verse 5, everything changed. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. And when he confessed it, freedom came and it was wiped off his books because he put faith in the Lord and the Lord's willingness to forgive us of our sin when we confess our sin. And he said, blessed or happy is the man who is forgiven, whose sins are covered. Again, is your faith in Christ today? Can you say amen to that? Your sins are covered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. God shall not impute them against you or take inventory of them because positionally there's none to take inventory of. Practically, though. Practically, we are a work in progress and you can be positionally right and practically in sin as David was. David was a believer at this point, but practically he made provision for sin he tried to cover his sin he walked in his sin and i'll tell you it sucked up the fruit of the spirit that god was manifesting in his life and when he finally said okay i'm done with this lord i acknowledge it forgive me a great joy he said i'm happy again i'm i'm blessed means happy i'm happy again i'm happy to be practically walking in the light as he is in the light And boy, that's a blessed place to be. Verse 9, it says, Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only, or upon the uncircumcised also, or the Gentile only, or also on the Jew? He says, For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. Again, Paul continues to hammer the point, God saves all men, not by works, but by faith. He's saying Abraham believed and it was accounted for in righteousness before he was ever circumcised. But again, there's Jews running around at this point saying, Jesus isn't enough, you also need to be circumcised or become a Jew. Become a Jew, then you become a Christian, Judaizers. And Paul's saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Abraham, our father, he was made right with God through believing before he was ever circumcised. So we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and him alone. And then circumcision came as a sign or a seal of his faith. It was the result of his faith. It wasn't though to add to his faith to save him. Genesis 17, 9 speaks of this. And then God said to Abraham, and Abraham's like 99 years old at this point. It's 25 years or so after he left Ur. He says, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and your you and your descendants after you. Every male child, uh, you you uh, every male child among you shall be circumcised. And indeed, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And notice, for it's a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generation, he who is born in your house, or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house, 
and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant and the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin that person shall be cut off from his people he has broken my covenant and so again he was circumcised after he believed as a sign or a seal of the covenant that God made with them that this Savior was going to come. And so this was the product of their faith. This wasn't the thing that saved them. And again, he had believed for quite a long time. And then circumcision was brought in. And Paul's making the point. He was saved when he was not circumcised. He believed. And he's saying to them, you are saved not through being circumcised, but through believing. He's going to great lengths to bring this out because God doesn't want anyone to be damned to hell, but he wants them to be saved. And that is only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. And that's why, again, he's going to these great lengths, all these examples to lay that out. Listen, with the circumcision as well. This was done, especially in those days, for uh, hygiene reasons it was to separate them from the canaanites as well around them and listen the hygiene reasons had to do as well with procreation they were to procreate to do what bring forth the savior of the world so it was a practical thing that had real reason behind it and it was a sign or a seal of their faith we'll get more into that in a second again real quick just as with them Faith comes before baptism, right? Baptism is a result of our faith. Talked about this a few weeks ago at our baptism in Acts chapter 8. Philip's ministering to this Ethiopian eunuch. He has a scroll from Isaiah. He doesn't understand who it's about. Philip comes up alongside him and preaches Jesus. It was about the Lord's suffering servant. The man, again, they're riding it down along the road. And he says to Philip, here's some water. What keeps me from being baptized? And in Acts 8.37, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. So in other words, you believed and then you're baptized as a sign that you believe. And he said, uh, he said to him, uh, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. So he says, stop the chariot. He got off. He went down right there by the side and he baptized him. And again, it was a sign of his faith that saved him. Again, faith becomes works. Works are a result of our faith, as we already saw there in Ephesians. Now, finally, verse 11 through 12, it says, and he received the sign of circumcision. Notice a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness may be imputed to them also. Again, he's also trying to explain how Gentiles were saved without being circumcised. Abraham was saved throughout th without that. He says, and the father of circumcision to those who are not only of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith, which our father Abraham while, had while he was still uncircumcised again abraham believed abraham becomes your spiritual father through believing abraham then was circumcised as a result of him believing yeah i'm in a covenant with god god says to do this i'm going to do this because he's my god i do what my god tells me to do that's evidence that he is my god that i have real faith in him and listen he received the seal or the sign and seal of circumcision when we put our faith in Christ, 
We received a greater seal than that. We received the seal of the Holy Spirit. We were sealed. Now, again, Paul's making sure they know the order of events here. Abraham believed and later on he was circumcised. But again, sadly, this was being attacked. And I got verses there. I'm not going to read them all this morning. We looked at one last week where Paul said, beware of the mutilation. Are those that would come along and say, listen, faith in Jesus isn't enough. You also need to, he called it mutilation here, mutilate your body through circumcision. And then in Galatians, he talks about these that come in stealth-like to try to bring works and add them to salvation by grace through faith. He says, listen, don't let them bring you into bondage. And then we are here there in Galatians 5 later. Stand in the liberty that's in Christ Jesus. Listen, do that today. Stand in the liberty of Christ Jesus. No, he died for my sins. He rose from the grave. And I am saved indeed by grace alone, through faith alone, and him alone. And I will stand and rejoice in that till I take my last breath and I'm ushered into eternity with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And again, the evidence of that, like with Abraham, we're going to walk in steps of faith. And this is where you got to be honest with yourself. This isn't a cheap grace here. Examine yourself. Is there evidence of faith there? There should be if Jesus is your Lord. That's just something that comes. It's a byproduct of having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those, those, those works don't save you, but those works are evidence of your faith. Because if you really believe that he is your Lord, that's going to affect your life. It absolutely is. Let's stand up right now and we'll close in prayer. Worship of the Lord today. Lord, we bless your name. We give you praise, glory, and honor. We just thank you. Thank you for the finished work of the cross. Thank you that today we can know that we know that we know we are saved because of what you have done for us and our faith in you. Lord, let us stand fast in that liberty, God. I just pray for any saint here today that may be struggling in these areas. The saint listening to the lies of the devil bringing condemnation. I pray they would stand in the scriptures. The scriptures declare our salvation through Jesus Christ. And when you say it, it is true. It is yes and amen. And that puts absolutely an end to the argument. Lord, anyone wrestling with these things, God is an attack on who they are in you. We pray, God, you would contend with the wicked one right now and even bind and rebuke him. If there's any here today who haven't called on your name. Oh, listen, call upon the name of the Lord. The scriptures say whoever will call on the name of the Lord, whoever will believe on him will be saved. Just as Abraham believed. Ask him to be your Lord. Ask him to wash you of your sin. Put your trust and your faith in him and he will meet you where you are at. We bless you. We praise you, God. Let us finish well lifting our voices to the Lord. Let's worship Him right now.